It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. Multiple ways you to interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring at 201-939-4513. You can hit us up on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. A reminder, you can find the archive of the show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. We'll get to your phone calls. We'll get to your tweets. A lot to cover. The 2021 season is officially over. Congratulations to the Los Angeles Rams as they rallied past the Cincinnati Bengals to win Super Bowl 56-23-20, so we'll certainly get into that. The Giants also, right after we went off the air on Friday, finalized the coaching staff, so we'll go over that as well as Brian Dable was able to bring in assistance to round out his staff. Obviously, we've covered the coordinators in great detail, but we can run through some of the key assistants. But, Paul, let's start with the conclusion to the 2021 season, and the game was competitive. The game was close, a heartbreaking loss for the Bengals, you figured they did everything, at least from my estimation, from a defensive standpoint, to put their team in a position to win, to hold the Rams to 23 points. If you would have told Zach Taylor and Lou Anarumo that was going to be the point total, I think they would have been more than content. <laughs> I just don't think that they would have thought, hey, we would have to settle for 20, considering they had three red zone opportunities. They only scored one touchdown. And to me, that was the biggest killer. Of course, it was the fact that Joe Burrow was sacked seven times. That goes without saying. But they've won games, and they know their offensive line has had trouble. I look at it is you had the possession in the first half you had to settle for a field goal and then you get great field position after the long T Higgins touchdown the pick you start at the Rams 31 and you don't do anything and you have to settle for a field goal that to me is where the game was decided you know I think there are three huge points out of the football encyclopedia of football 101 that really decided this game Lance and I agree with you about the red zone opportunities the Bengals failing to cash in and settling for two field goals when they had great field position. Uh, I mean, that's leaving eight points off the board. So let's not kid ourselves. That is just monumental. But I thought the other two axioms that, that still just ring in my ears all morning, number one, the line of scrimmage, which clearly sure. the Rams owned the line of scrimmage uh, late in this game from the fourth quarter, maybe even late third quarter, they just began to say, hey, that's going to be our territory. That's our real estate. And they just picked things up when it came to the line of scrimmage. And ultimately, it was, you know, Donald making that final fourth down play where he was just not going to be denied. He was going to get through the line and make the play. By the way, I will say I thought it was a horrific spot on the third down carry by the Bengals. I think they were probably about a foot short of that first down, which would have put a quarterback sneak in play. But yeah. because they marked them back about a yard, they wound up going for something else. I thought it was a terrible spot by the officials. I don't understand why the guy upstairs didn't buzz down and say, wait a minute, we got a bad spot here. Let me fix that. I don't get it. I don't understand why. Maybe Zach Taylor, maybe he did ask for a measurement. Because if you ask for a measurement, now they've got to stop play to give you the measurement. And maybe at that point, the officials give enough of a second look at it to realize that, you know, we screwed up the spot. I thought it was a terrible job in that particular instance. And that may have helped cost the Bengals that final opportunity. But that goes aside from the third and final axiom that I love to talk about all the time. And that is make plays for your quarterback. Six and a half minutes left in the game at midfield. Third down throw by Burrow goes right into Boyd's hands. And they had made the, the statement, Al Michaels did, that he did not have a drop pass the entire regular season. And he drops a ball that is right there. Could not put it any better. No excuse for it. And he drops that pass on third down, which forces the Bengals to give up the ball. I was sitting with my father watching the game. And I said, Dad, I'm telling you right now, what he just did by dropping that pass, he put the game in the Rams' hands. 
It is now in their control because Stafford's going to go all the way down the field and he will score a touchdown. The only question I have is how much time will be left so that Burrow could potentially get that game-tying field goal. Now, of course, they didn't wind up getting the field goal because Donald ruined the fourth down play. But I was a 1,000% confident that Stafford and the Rams would march down the field. And I, I guess it was about six and a half minutes to go, Lance. Yeah. And I said to my dad, the question for me is, how much time are they going to leave on the clock? Will there be enough for Burrow? Because they're going to drive the length of the field. They're going to dink it and dunk it all the way down the field. And that's exactly what they did. I don't think they had a gain of more than 10 yards in that entire drive. And it what, what, 16 plays? 15 plays, 79 yards. There you go. And as far as the longest play on that drive, to your point, they did have the catch and run for 22 by Cooper Cup, but it wasn't a long pass. It was Cup right. doing a lot right. after the catch. Right. So if you want to just define it as the length of the throws, that's yeah. what I meant. Correct. That's what I meant. Yes, they were yeah. going to dink and dunk it down the field. Yeah, Cup did have that one breakaway run, but uh, yeah. So I mean, those three axioms are just ringing in my head all morning today. As uh, you know, we look at this Rams victory. A few things I just wanted to add to what you said with respect to your point about getting the ball into the hands of the playmakers. I mean, that's exactly what the Rams did. Cooper Cup, who won the Triple Crown this season and had a relatively quiet game overall once Odell Beckham went down. But then, hey, that last drive, Sean McVay told Stafford, hey, this is real simple. Just get the ball into Cup's hands mm -hmm. and let him do the rest. And that's exactly what he did. The other guy that I think is important to note, who you probably dismiss and you overlook in the box score, a guy like Bryson Hopkins. This goes back to Paul conversations he had. When somebody gets hurt in front of you on the depth chart, your number gets called. There's a guy that did not much of anything from an offensive standpoint all season. He had COVID. He was sidelined. So you have no Tyler Higby. Then Kendall Blanton goes down, your second tight end. He's third on the depth chart. He has four catches for nearly 50 yards. Two came on that last drive. So there's an example of the unsung heroes that have to step up and deliver. I thought that was something that stood out to me on that final drive as well. And then as far as your point about the line of scrimmage, yeah, the Rams absolutely went to war late in the game, and Aaron Donald and Von Miller were not going to be denied. But no. I actually thought, Paul, the Bengals did a heck of a job for the majority of the game because the Rams could not run the football, and you know they wanted to run the football. How sure. many times did McVay want to run it on first down? He wasn't getting anything, and the Bengals just kept all of a sudden putting that brick wall up. So I thought for the majority of the game, even though a lot of people want to focus on Burrow was sacked seven times, the defensive line for the Bengals deserves a lot of credit because they got pressure on Stafford. They stopped the run. They didn't give up those game-changing, back-breaking plays with the exception of the Beckham score. And he made a great play on Mike Hilton, one of their top corners. But I thought for about three quarters of the game, the Bengals actually won that battle. And then to your point, when the game was on the line, the Rams' big name showed up. Well, you know, they always say you've got to play for the full 60 minutes, right, Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's really the issue because when the game was in the balance and you're hanging on the tightrope and what's going to happen? Are you going to fall off or are you going to get to the other side? That's where the Rams kicked it up, and they really did what they had to do. You said Miller. You're right. Donald, absolutely. Those two guys just basically did what they had to do to take that team and to push them over the top. I think the one other item you mentioned about guys stepping up when somebody gets hurt, I think the ironic thing is Beckham gets hurt, and they start feeding Cup more and more and more as the game went on. And the funny part about it is, I don't know if Cup would have gotten that many targets had Beckham still been in the game. In a very odd kind of way, the fact that he left the game may have forced them to force feed Cup even more. And as it turned out, he made the most of it. And it's an interesting point because when I was on my Sirius show yesterday morning, I had said that if I'm Luana Rumo, Paul, and this relates to exactly what you're talking about, I'm saying to Matt Stafford, first of all, I want him to have to put on the cape and make throws, which he had to do late. And I want him to get others involved that are not named Cooper Cup, right? Because if I'm going to double a guy, who are you going to double? You're going to double Cooper Cup. And to the Rams' credit, Beckham made plays for them early in that game. But then when he went down, now all of a sudden, you either need Van Jefferson to do some of the heavy lifting, some of the tight ends, 
or you force feed Cooper Cup the ball. And that's why a lot of people point to when Beckham's injury occurred. If you notice, it was a bit of a turning point because the Rams' offense was relatively quiet once he went down. Now, I don't think it was so simple that Beckham got hurt and the Rams' offense fell apart. I think the Bengals' defense also did a really nice job to quiet them. But when it came to late in the game, I didn't necessarily think about that, Paul. If Beckham's on the field, does Cup get as many opportunities does Sean McVay say hey let's force feed and find ways to get our guy out in open space or does he say hey we got our normal weapons on the field let's give Beckham some shots which just goes to show you the ebbs and flows of a football game and that's why we love to play the hypotheticals Paul but you just you don't know it's a guessing game he may have still gone in the ball to Cooper Cup even if Odell Beckham was on the field we will never know the bottom line is the Rams found a way to win and I thought that was the most important aspect and the other thing that I want to point out which I think is a bit of an overlooked item. The narrative going into the majority of this season for the Rams was what, Paul? That they made all these big splashes, right? Mm -hmm. They traded for Stafford. They traded for Ramsey. They acquired Von Miller. They signed Odell Beckham. Notice the two players who put their stamp on the win were two guys that they drafted, Aaron Donald (laughs) and Cooper Cup. So why do I bring that up, Paul? I bring that up because as much as everybody wants to talk about the Rams went all in and they sacrificed picks, at the end of the day, the core of their team was still built through the draft. And those guys who they invested in and groomed were the ones that helped them seal the deal. I'm going to debate that just a tad with you because Whitworth was brought in from free agency. Von Miller was a big splash, though, as far as a trade or you gave up draft picks for him. As you said just earlier, though, in this program, Von Miller was huge down the stretch. He was, And and he was imported. Uh, You know, Beckham was obviously imported, and he caught a touchdown early in the game and certainly put his stamp on the game. Uh, and, And to be honest with you, I don't think Goff wins that game yesterday. I'm sorry. I'm not a big Goff guy. I never was. I always thought that Wentz was was far superior to Goff when they came out in the draft class. And I always thought that Matthew Stafford was one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the NFL. And they make that deal. And yeah, I'm going to say they did decide to splurge and to go for it this year. And Goff does not win that game. I, I no, I'm I'm not gonna go there. I, I, I can't I can't say that that trade was not something that helped push them over the hump because I believe Stafford did enough yesterday that only Stafford could do and not Goff to uh, get the Rams to win. Well, I'm certainly not going to go so far to say that they would have won the Super Bowl if Goff was there. They did make a Super Bowl, though, with Jared Goff. So we don't have to have How'd the that work out? Three points. Correct. Yeah. But, I mean, that's also credit to the Patriots' defense, which did a really nice job, too. So, mm-hmm. you know, just like Cincinnati's defense deserves some yeah. credit as well, even yeah. though they lost the game. So Grand, I'm not going Bengals to— Bengals played good D yesterday. Correct. They, they, they I, I were think fantastic. Tremendous credit to Stafford for making some dynamite throws and for doing exactly what he had to do without making mistakes. You know, remember, Stafford's whole career with the Detroit, and people used to rip on him for it. They would say, well, oh, you got so many comeback victories. You know, over the last 10 years, you're one of the leaders in comeback victories. That's because you're always playing from behind. You get to inflate your stats. People play prevent. And, and the Lions stink so bad, you have to come from behind if you're going to win any games. That was always the narrative against Stafford. And I always thought that was unfair because the guy's got a lot of tools. He is a really, really good quarterback. Well, he made the necessarily plays on the final drive. And what you're saying with respect to Detroit, that's why the environment defines the quarterback. Because Mm -hmm. you come to L.A., you have an improved defense. You don't have to put together all those comebacks because you actually have the other side of the ball that help you win games. Sure. Just like despite the fact that he helped orchestrate the go-ahead touchdown, the Rams don't necessarily win the Super Bowl yesterday if Aaron Donald and the defense doesn't come up with the stopping of the run and then, of course, Donald's sack. Because remember— Burrow hit Jamar Chase for a nice gain. They were already knocking on the door at midfield. Who knows? You know, they get another first down or two. They don't get that sack. Maybe we're talking about overtime, Paul. It's oh, very I think we are. That, I that game gets to that point. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's any doubt in my mind. When Burrow got that ball back with about a minute and a half to go, uh, you know, I, I said to myself, okay, the Rams did exactly what I thought they would do. They would dink and dunk it down the field, go down and get their touchdown. But, oh, my goodness. The Bengals still have two timeouts left. There's well over a minute to go. That's enough time. 
Burrow's going to get them right back the other way. They'll kick the field goal, and this game is going to overtime. I was a was 1,000% positive the game was going to OT because, Lance, you and I both know this game, the way the rules are set up, the way teams are forced to play because of the rules, it's all set up to help the offense. This is what the NFL wants. They've been doing it for years. They want these dramatic finishes. And Donald, in particular, said, the hell with that. I'm going to take care of business. We're not going to let this happen. And he was a one-man wrecking crew on that final series. And the reason why also that sack was so huge, of course, it closed out the game. But I was looking at a different angle. I don't know if you noticed this, Paul. Jalen Ramsey slipped on the right side of the field. So Chase was wide Mm -hmm. open. If Burroughs got a fraction of a second, a little bit more to assess the field. Yeah. I'm not saying it happens, but maybe he's got an opportunity to get the throw off because you remember he was spun around and then tried to get it to Pirine. But if he gets an extra second, I would have liked to have seen what he may have been able to do to try to hit Burrow. And that could have been a game-winning score because there was nobody it looked like in front of Jamal yeah. Chase. With you're probably right. I, you're, you are probably right. And, and look, this is what makes the National Football League so awesome. Because you literally have to peel back so many layers of the onion. So many things are connected. And so many things are the strategy or the play within the game. One inch here, one inch there, a foot here, a foot there. Again, I go back to the fact I thought that third down spot right before the fourth down that decided the game was a horrific spot. I thought the Bengals got jobbed by at least a foot or two on that ball. And yet somehow, some way. Uh, you know, they let it play the way it was. And and here's the other thing, too. And I'm, I'm so glad we went this far without talking about the officials. I'm one of those people who says, hey, I always would prefer to see the guys play and decide the game on the field. I think some contact is perfectly fine. I know that the rule book says you can't have this, you can't add that, you can't bump the receiver more than five yards down the field. I get all of that stuff. Okay, but those are all the rules that were slanted in favor of the offense. I'm one who wants to let the guys play. Now, to me, letting guys play can be a little contact, can be some hand fighting. What's not letting the guys play is when player X grabs a whole handful of jersey and starts pulling on it as the ball is coming in. That's not letting guys play. To me, that's a penalty. That's an infraction. But the hand fighting, the arms, the elbows, the little bit of shoving, uh, I'm, I'm good with letting that go, Lance. The problem, of course, is that's such a gray area. How do you legislate that in real time? It's really difficult. Well, and to your point, there was jerseys being tugged earlier in the game and there were no flags. And then all of a sudden, you have later in the game, there's no jerseys being tugged, but there's a little, to your point, contact. And I think the play that I'm thinking of that I think you're referencing Wilson. is the Logan Wilson. Yeah. Horrible. Where it's third and goal on the Cincinnati 8. Horrible and call. I thought overall it was a well-defended play. Was there a little touchy-feeliness? Yes, absolutely. But could it have been one where you swallow your whistle, you swallow the flag? I could have lived with that too. That extends the drive and then... Following that, you have more flags, but that was the big one, Paul, because you get a fresh set of downs Yep. as a result of that one. Yep, no question about it. And because yeah. you, you would have put the Rams in a fourth and goal situation where of they've course. got to get the touchdown. So now it's one play for all the marbles in their direction instead of the other way around when Burrow was faced to go for the fourth and one near midfield. So to me, that was an absolutely, I mean, we're talking about a, pile of horse manure about seven feet high that call it was a horrible horrible call now having said that Eli Apple grabbed and tugged that jersey on the ensuing play when he got called for the for the uh, pass interference call there's no question he grabbed he, he had he had the jersey in his clutches that's a penalty all right, I'm, there's no getting around that that's not letting guys play that's flat out okay that's a flag Well, and then the penalty that happened in between the one you're talking about, because there was actually another play before Eli Apple grabbed Cooper Cup. It was the offsetting penalties, if you remember, Paul. Yeah. Where you had the Rob Havenstein hold, and then you had Von Bell unnecessary roughness. Mm -hmm. You know what I found interesting, by the way, Paul, about that? If you notice, they define that as a dead ball foul, which I didn't necessarily agree with that assessment because – First of all, it happened before Cooper Cup finished the play. How is that a dead ball foul? Von Bell is trying to knock him out of play, 
and prevent him from getting both feet down. I was just, it was kind of interesting that they defined it as a dead ball foul. Dead ball foul to me is after the play, right? right? And the reason why I say that was big was because if that penalty doesn't get called, let's say, against Von Bell, then it's just a penalty against the Rams. And even though you'd redo the down, you back them up though. They wouldn't be no longer at the Cincinnati four. So you're making it at least a little bit more challenging. So that was another significant call Mm -hmm. that obviously changed the trajectory of that final drive. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and then, of course, let's not kid ourselves. Every Rams fan out there wants to know why when Jalen Ramsey got beat on the 75 yard touchdown pass or the longest, by the way, that he's ever been beaten for in his career, regular season or postseason. They'll scream, well, why wasn't there a penalty there on uh on the receiver because there was clearly a momentary grasp of the face mask and a turn of the head. Yep. Although I, I, I did say to my dad, I thought Ramsey embellished a little bit when he took the dive. Uh, my dad didn't think so. He said, ah, you know what? Someone grabs you by the face mask. Even if it's only momentary, they can throw you off balance and they can get you to the ground. I wasn't sure if I necessarily agreed with that, but there's no doubt you know, that every Rams fan, had they lost that game, would have been screaming bloody murder about that no call. Well, and that's another reason why, Paul, first of all, you know where I stand when it comes to officiating, too. It's the last thing I'm ever going to bring up because, as you just mentioned, it goes both ways. And you could pinpoint issues earlier in the game that benefited the team that many people think may have got impacted negatively late in the game. Mm -hmm. So, to me, Good teams, they overcome bad, questionable calls. You move on. Cincinnati, despite the questionable calls, bottom line is they had a possession, right? They had an opportunity. We talked about it. They They could have gone in field goal range, fourth and one, couldn't convert. Donald made the play, end of the ballgame. So that's another reason why I don't want to overshadow everything else that happened in the game and simply jump to the officiating. I think there was so much more, as we discussed earlier, that certainly defined and put their stamps on this game. So that's the outlook in terms of the Super Bowl. If you want to weigh in on that, certainly feel free to give us a ring at 201-939-4513. A reminder, as we look ahead now to the 2022 season, Giants fans, you can secure your season tickets for that campaign for only $100. Limited seats are available. Speak with a Giants ticket representative now. You can become a season ticket member. Call 888-NYG-1925. All right, we'll open up the phone lines. We'll also get into the Giants coaching staff being finalized for the most part. Jason is in New Haven, gets us going here on Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Jason? Hi, guys. How you doing? Hi. Doing all right. What's yeah. on your mind? Yeah, thanks, thanks for taking my call. I just had a few points. Uh, I wanted to... Um, I wanted to agree with you two guys about certain, uh, the game yesterday. I thought it was a great game overall. Um, that Logan Wilson uh, supposed pass interference on C- Cooper Cup, I thought that was kind of ticky-tack. I-, I personally would have held the flag on that if I was the ref. I don't think that impeded the play, in my opinion. Um, and then, Lance, your point about Chase being wide open, I did see that. And like you said, if, if Burrow had a s- half a second more time, he probably would have connected with Chase um, on that. So that would have been a crazy ending, too. But I thought the game overall was great. I was happy to see Beckham uh, get a ring. Um, he was one of my favorite Giants. Um, it didn't end well with us and him towards the end. But as a Giants fan, I don't know how you're not happy to uh, – not you guys specifically, but um, how guys are not able to be happy for him. Um, and it's a sad thing. He t- it sounds like he tore his ACL yesterday again. So. Oh. Yeah, you never want to see that. I mean, Burrow was shaken up. Stafford was shaken up. Hopefully these guys come out relatively clean from the game. I don't want to speculate with Beckham. I didn't see anything unless you saw an announcement where there was a confirmation. I know it was a non-contact injury. He was immediately ruled out. But uh, hopefully he doesn't have to go through that again because that's going to definitely eat into his availability for the start of the 2022 season. Plus, he's a free agent. So in terms of re-upping with the Rams, you know that could very well impact his chances there. Right. Um, one more thing about the game that I'll get Giants-related. The I know everybody's been talking about the Giants O-line, and, of course, you know, we have to get better in the trenches given that what we've seen yesterday. But, wow, that Bengals O-line, I'm, I know the Giants get a lot of heat from the national media. The, the, I know we get a lot of heat from the national media about our O-line, but uh, that was kind of I know they're going against Aaron Donald and, and Leonard Floyd and those guys, but 
I mean, that Bengals line was oof. That was that was pretty uh, rough to watch yesterday. That may be, and and you know, take 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 a look in your memory banks here and tell me, can you find a more porous offensive line in the postseason to have gotten to a Super Bowl? I can't remember one. I can't. No, I can't. Um, not as, I mean, I'm 38, so as long as I've been watching football since I was maybe five or four, I. I mean, that was, like I said, I, I won't judge them too bad because God knows our old line hasn't been um, world beaters. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but that, 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 was, that, was, that was rough. I think Burrow got sacked like seven times, and I've read somewhere that he got sacked 51. He was the most sacked quarterback in the league. Uh, yeah, he got sacked 51 got sacked. times in the regular season, and then between yesterday's game and the Titans game, he was sacked 16 times with just those two playoff games. And that wasn't even yeah. the most they gave up. Because remember, they gave up nine when they played Tennessee. Yet they still won that game. And that was the big difference. And we'll let you continue here, Jason. But I just want to echo some of your sentiments. What I thought the Bengals did throughout the postseason is they overcame those pass protection issues because Burrow was able to convert some third downs. That didn't happen yesterday. That was the noticeable difference. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that's important to note with the Bengals' offensive line they weren't a team that ran the ball down your throats this season, but I thought their run blocking was decent enough to get them by, and we saw flashes of that yesterday. The one Achilles heel was pass protection specifically, and if you notice, they brought in Joe Mixon. They were utilizing him on a linebacker. The linebacker was blowing him up and still getting to Joe Burrow. So it just goes to show you, you could try to give sometimes an assistance to the offensive line, and that doesn't mean that you're going to be effective in that department. Right. You know, right, they, right. They, they were whistling past the graveyard all the way to the Super Bowl, and then finally the line of scrimmage caught up to them. Correct, exactly. That's yep. a good way to put it. Yep. Yep. Um, and Giants, uh, to get back to Giants-related, um, the, the Bengals kind of – now, I'm not comparing the rosters. I'm not comparing the quarterbacks because, I know, I think Burrow has showed he's probably one of the top three young quarterbacks in the game going forward. Um, so I'm not, you know, comparing with Daniel. I'm not doing no comparison kind of talk. But I think most fans say, oh, you know, you might have some fans say, oh, tear the whole thing down as far as the roster. Let's start from scratch. You have some fans saying, no, we got talent. Let's, let's, you know, I think we could do both. I know it's hard to, but we just saw with the Bengals. Now, they reminded me of the 08 Giants where they kind of caught fire towards the end of the year and they started beating teams that people didn't think they would beat. But I don't see – now, I'm not putting any ex, uh, declarations on our team because we do have a lot of work to do in the off season, and we have to hope for a lot of our key players to stay healthy. But I see no reason why we at least can't still um, – you know, there's a lot of ifs, but why we can't still next year say, hey, you know, we do have some talent. Let's see what happens. And like I said, I'm not saying we're going to win 10 games or nine or make the playoffs, but the Bengals did show, hey, you got some good coaching – you know, you, you, you have some health on your side. Let's see what happens. So that was my first part about the Giants related to the Super Bowl. Second part, I wanted to uh, – I like the, the hire of Kafka, I think his name is, the OC. Kafka. Kansas City. I, yes. I, I, I like the idea of Dable and Kafka together. To me, I think this is um, – and I've said it before, so it's not a knock to anybody or Daniel Jones, but I think this is his last shot. This is my opinion. You guys may see different. We have some um, – Apparently, Kafka has gotten a lot of praise throughout the. You know, I've been reading. You know, reading some stuff. A lot of people like Kafka. Uh, Dave was an innovative offensive mind, so I like the kind of uh, meshing of the two minds of Kansas City. Maybe some ideas from there. Maybe some ideas from um, Buffalo, and trying to mesh them to Daniel, see what he could do. Um, so I, I, I like this kind of pairing. I think it's a young, innovative hire, along with Dable, and you know, let's see what let's see what Daniel could do. Um, along with, you know, building up our offensive line. So I kind of like that hire. And my last question, fellas, and I know it's hypothetical, so I know it's hard to really say, but if we were to sign a free agent, let's say we were to sign a pretty decent free agent, what would you guys sign um, free agent-wise? Would you go for offensive linemen or would you sign a pass rusher? And I know pass rushers, decent ones usually cost a lot. As far Every as... decent player usually costs yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can right, get many right. discounts on the free agent market. <laughs> you right, got to yeah. get and really I, and I... lucky and like, you know, what Belichick does when he gets these bargain basement guys off the scrap heap and he gets them to play three times above their ability. That would help an awful lot, but that's really wow. kind of hard to do. I, I, yeah. I will say this to you. Without knowing right now exactly what that pool is like, it's kind of premature to talk about it. 
but in general, the pass rush is going to cost you even more money than the offensive lineman will, just in general, and to get anybody any good. So I don't know if that well, really answers your question. But but the other two things I yeah. did want to say before we let you go, in terms of the the Giants' O-line being as, as basically as weak as it is right now, the one thing I hope is that if you've got Dayball and you've got Kafka as tremendously uh, creative offensive minds, just remember there are times when because of the limitations of the personnel you have, specifically your O-line, your playbook suddenly shrinks. And we've seen that happen here now a lot over the last decade where the Giants could not do certain things and had to throw out chapters of the playbook because the offensive line was simply not capable of doing those kinds of things. And that leaves you handicapped. So I hope that Dable and Kafka can either do enough of their playbook or they can work around some of the deficiencies and still find a way to get stuff done. That would be one point I'd want to make to you. And the other point I would make, I guess your first uh, comment uh, in terms of uh, um, uh, Daniel Jones, I think we all agree this is his last chance, make or to break it kind of season. But I will say this, the one thing that, you know, you look at the Bengals, even with a weak offensive line, Mixon had over 1,000 yards this year rushing the football. They were able to run the ball effectively when they needed to. In spots when they had to do it, they could still do it. That's the big problem with the Giants' offensive line right now. They cannot run the ball when you need to run the ball. When it's required, when it's it's to their benefit, and people know they're going to do it, they can't do it. And that's the big difference between Burrow working behind a bad offensive line and some other quarterbacks working behind a bad offensive line. When you've got that one bell cow back who can run for 1,200 yards and sprinkle in the ground attack when necessary, it makes things easier than just having a porous, bad, undermanned O-line. It really makes a difference. And appreciate the phone call, Jason. And that's why, Paul, I was emphasizing earlier, I said when you look at the Bengals' offensive line, it's one thing to say, okay, pass protection, they weren't grading, but they were decent in run blocking because, as you mentioned, Mixon's numbers, and even yesterday, if you watched, there were times where they were pounding the ball with Mixon, and he was finding some holes. So it's not fair to just judge an offensive line based on how many times a quarterback was sacked. Also, if you watch the postseason, Burrow deserves some blame for those sacks, okay? He was holding on to the ball. He backpedaled a little too much when I thought maybe he had opportunities to get rid of the ball. So that sometimes is on the quarterback. Just like if you remember, there were years where Deshaun Watson and the Texans led the NFL in sacks. Well, Watson's a mobile quarterback. So by him running around and holding on to the ball, it's going to give the defense a chance to sack him. So if you just looked at the sack number alone, you'd be like, Houston's offensive line is awful. But you have to then look at game situations. Dak Prescott, there was years where he had a lot of sacks mm-hmm. because he holds on to the ball as a mobile quarterback. So that's why I don't really think it tells the whole fair story, never which does. is exactly what you were hitting mm-hmm. on. Yeah, and, it never yeah. does. You always have to peel back all the layers of the onion. And Lance, I, I think you would agree with me too. If we had Zach Taylor in this room right now and we said to him, okay, you have a choice here. If, if Burrow's going to lean one way or the other, would you rather he lean toward taking a few more sacks or would you rather lean towards not having ball protection and ball security to where, you know, he's trying to do something with the ball, gets hit and fumbles, or chucks it needlessly and gets picked off? I think we would all assume Zach Taylor's going to say, I'd rather he take more sacks. Yeah, I'm completely with you there. I always say, don't put the cape on. Live to see another down, especially if it's not fourth down or something like that. If it's not do or die. For example, on that last play with Donald, Burrow had to get rid of the ball, okay? I mean, Mm -hmm. he has to make something happen. But if it was third down, I would be like, all right, hey, if you got to lose five yards, lose five yards. It's not the end of the world. At least you're salvaging, you're retaining possession. And I don't want to say it's similar, but if you remember, Stafford had an interception in the end zone, Paul, late in the first half. Yes. Now, that was on a third down. That was a situation where if they get even four to five more yards, he gives Matt Gay an opportunity for a field goal Mm -hmm. there. Because I want to say, I mean, they were on the borderline of really field goal range at that point. Now, I understand he threw the interception. It was into the play. But my feeling is, even if you try to force it to a guy that's within reasonable distance of field goal, I would rather you do that than go for the home run and the prayer down the field. Because worst case scenario is you turn the ball over on downs 
or perhaps you get an interception. I get it, but at least you're giving yourself a shot to get a field goal opportunity as opposed to completely Mm -hmm. losing possession. So I didn't like that decision by Stafford towards the end of the first half. I agree. I thought that was his worst decision of the day because other than that, I thought he played extremely well. I want to add one more thing to the caller's point when he asked about, you know, how well can the Giants do today to kind of, you know, uh, buoy their record, if you will. Just remember Joe Shane at his first press conference, and it was uh, I, I wrote this down. I, I, I had to quote him on this because, it, it, to me, it was significant. He said, we want to compete today and still build for tomorrow. Now, John and I on one of the other shows, Lance, and I don't know if you were doing that show with us, we said the key to that sentence is how do you define compete? Does compete mean you hope to be in a bunch of games? Does compete mean you hope to squeak out and win a bunch of games? What exactly does the word compete mean? Because you can compete and still wind up with four wins at the end of the season or compete and have eight wins at the end of the season. For that matter, you could even have nine. But where where does that word finally lie in your dictionary? Because I think, you know, when I hear that, That says to me, you know, Joe Shane, despite understanding he's got a lot of cap things to do this year, he's not looking forward to a team that's that's going to repeat this year's performance. He's looking forward to a team that's actually going to improve. Well, and I think the way that you define that then, and this is my interpretation, because there's the fine line between winning and losing in the NFL, Paul, I would say, regardless of what your roster looks like. So I don't think necessarily he's saying to himself, I look at compete as eight, nine wins. I think the way that I would look at it, if I'm Joe Shane, I'm looking at an offense last year that it was pulling teeth to sometimes get 15 to 17 points. So if you're talking about competing, I want to know that the offense I put out on the field, that we don't have to leave it to our defense to keep us in every single ball game. That's how I would define yeah, it, Paul. That makes a lot Forget of sense. wins or losses. I'm looking at offensive production. That's competing. Yeah, well, you know, we, we will see. We will see. I, I certainly hope... I certainly hope that whatever he's able to do during the course of free agency to get his cap number down, I mean, we all know he's got to make some critical moves, and there are going to be some good players who are shown the door. I hope it's not as much of a uh, devastation and bloodletting as a lot of us anticipate that it will be because there are some young guys who will remain on this roster who are going to have to step up and really try to fill some of those voids quickly. Well, and that's why it goes back to, I've emphasized this a lot, and I think you pretty much have echoed similar sentiments. It's the development not just of the 2022 class. It's the two previous ones in conjunction with this year's Mm -hmm. class because they're all on rookie contracts still. And that brings me to two things I just wanted to throw out before we move on to some other calls here is the fact that, number one, to the point of Daniel Jones, if the Giants don't exercise the fifth-year option, by definition, it's a critical year for Daniel Jones because he'd oh, yes. be a lame duck quarterback, right? That's true. So, right, we don't need to examine it beyond that. Just look at the structure of his contract, period. End of discussion there. The second thing is, and you were hitting on this a little bit, I just want to further expand on it because the last caller was talking about how nice it is to have coaches on staff from other teams that have had success, specifically Buffalo and Kansas City. But what you were getting to is, at the end of the day, You're only as good as the personnel that you have out there. So you have to take into consideration. Dable had the luxury of Josh Allen, who could absorb contact, run with the ball. That was a big staple of their offense. You've got to be a little bit more cautious and careful with Daniel Jones, who has not proven he could be durable. Kafka comes from a team that had Patrick Mahomes completely revamped their offensive line with a combination of trades, free agency, and the draft, so used a lot of resources at that position, and also had some big game-changing playmakers that even when things weren't ideal, Tyreek Hill could take a five-yard pass, take it to the house. Travis Kelsey can move the chains. So just think about those are where these coaches, Paul, are coming from. Not Mm -hmm. to say that they can't work their magic and be creative, but that's a nice luxury to have in terms of what they've been working with over the last few seasons. No, I I don't think there's any question about that. And by the way, as long as we're talking about this subject, we probably should mention that, you know, Bobby Johnson is coming with him from Buffalo. So he must have a tremendous amount of confidence in the Bills' former offensive line coach to want to bring him down here for his first head coaching job. Uh, Now, again, I don't know Bobby Johnson very well. I know that when the Bills' offensive line got hurt, they struggled some. When they weren't hurt and they were, you know, one regular unit, much like every other team, 
they perform better. I don't know Bobby Johnson enough to tell you. I mean, I barely barely met the man to tell you exactly what his style is, what his personality is. But I, I do believe that, you know, Dable obviously understood the situation. The offensive line that he's coming into, it needs a lot of work. And he must truly believe in his heart of hearts that, that Bobby Johnson is a guy who's going to be able to make something out of this. Otherwise, he would have looked elsewhere to, to find somebody. Well, and I also think he has familiarity with the concepts that Dable probably wants to implement, too. And you know the way you utilize mm-hmm. your offensive line goes hand-in-hand hand with the offense you want to run. So I'm sure that was probably a selling point. As far as developing guys, I look at Spencer Brown, third-round pick in 2021, who slid into right tackle. He was in and out of the lineup, but late in the season, they certainly needed him. So there's a young guy that he worked with. And the Bills also went the route of free agency. Mitch Morse they brought in from Kansas City. John Feliciano was another free agent. Deion Dawkins, though, was drafted. And you could say Bobby Johnson worked with him, too. I mean, he was a 2017 draft pick, so it's not like he's been in the league for 10 years. The two tackles were the two young guys that I would say that's examples of what he's been working with, but the other pieces were really outside sources that they went to to address some of their offensive line issues. All right, let's head back to the phone lines as we move along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Antonio is in Manhattan joining us here. What's happening, Antonio? Hey, what's going on, guys? How you doing? Good afternoon. Hi. Doing all right. What you got for us? Want to touch base that uh, I'm glad that the Giants, after looking at the Super Bowl, they addressed. I'm not saying they fixed, but they definitely addressed, in my opinion, what was their biggest problem, which was coaching staff slash scheme. Um, I think that the Bengals' offensive line is worse than the Giants' offensive line. If you just look at combined hits and sacks, they sacked Jaboro and hit Jaboro a total 105 times. The Giants was 100, so it's not a big difference, but it's still. Bengals are worse. The Giants' offensive line, in terms of running, they average four yards a carry, same as the Bengals, so that's a wash. So, in my opinion, it comes down to we just had a really bad scheme. Oh, and time to throw. Danny Jones had more time to throw than, 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 than Joe Brower did through the regular season. So, it's a, I think, in my opinion, that, yes, our offensive line is a problem. It's problem number 2A. And quarterback is to beat. But the number one issue was addressed in that scheme. I think that they were also going to get a tackle probably in the first round. But I definitely think that we're going to – I don't know if we're going to address Daniel Jones uh, this offseason or getting a QB this offseason. That might compete with Jones. We'll see. It still hasn't happened yet. Okay, I just I just gotta gotta touch base with you on on one very very important premise that I I'm gonna have to disagree with you on. When you said okay. that the run game, you, you're saying that the Bengals offensive line and the Giants offensive line and the run game were a wash. I don't see it that way. I thought that mm-hmm. that Mixon uh, behind their offensive line, the right. situational running, they were able to right. run the ball in spots when they had to. The Giants right. could not do that. You know, when, when, and, and, it, and those are situations that are the most critical because that's when but you're trying to prove a point. You're trying to change tempo of the game. You're trying to grind out clock to preserve yep. a game. Uh, the Bengals were able to do that you. better than the Giants. And the other thing is, too, remember, the Giants also had some of Daniel Jones' rushing yardage into their rushing totals. When I, when I analyze a, a team's running game, one of the right. things that I always do is take out right. the quarterback's rushing yardage because that's scheme specific, okay? But that, but that's also part of the rushing it, it, no, it, 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 yeah, yeah, but it, it's part of the overall rushing attack. Right. But it's not you part of. Can't blame Josh but, Allen. For no, 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 no. But, yeah. but it's but it doesn't indicate it doesn't indicate your offensive line's ability to block for the running backs. It's it, it does yeah. indicate you. Yeah. yeah. Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you uh-huh. have when you have the read option, right? All right? right. All the quarterback has to do is fake out somebody, and he's able to right. take off, let's say, 10 or 15 yards. And right. and that's primarily because of his fake more often than not. It's not necessarily yeah. because an offensive lineman made a block. But that's well, but, but that also involves the offensive line. They have to, it's just one guy who's leaving a block. That's the decision. Well, 
Yeah, but see, but see the difference being when you run the read option, a lot of times right. you're allowing the quarterback to be in a one-on-one situation against the defender. Right. And as long as he fakes right. out that defender, he doesn't yeah. need any other blocks to get his yardage. But if I'm right, handing right. the ball off to a Booker or a Barkley, you know what? Right. They need the block. They need that block yeah. of the tight end, or they need that block more often than not of the guard who's going to pull, or they need the center to block it up the middle. It, it's it, it's a scheme-specific. It's a, when, when I, what You know what I'm saying? Team. That's why I usually mm-hmm. take yeah, the – Yeah, I agree. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I agree with that. But here's what I'll say about scheme and a counter-argument to that. Our scheme – Pretty much the only outside runs that we did were sweeps. Or if it was an inside dive and our running backs kicked it to the outside on their own division. Really, all we did was pretty much have an inside dive scheme or inside zone scheme. So Cincinnati has more versatility on their run game in terms of scheme-wise than us. And that's why I'm like, listen, I'm so happy that that was here because he addressed that. He said he has a gap scheme. He has an outside zone scheme. And it all depends on the week and what he sees on the opponent. So I think that, again, I don't know if we fixed that, but we definitely addressed it at that point. Well, that remains and, to be uh, seen. I mean, we, we don't have right, any yeah, evidence to go by that at this point. You can be optimistic. You can be optimistic, sure. Yo, well, no, I'm not saying no, not to be optimistic. but I'm to, If you're comparing, though, the Bengals to the Giants, just getting back to your initial right. point, and you're getting right. caught up in the yardage per carry, I mean, to me the most telling difference, though, is the Bengals had 16 rushing touchdowns. The Giants had eight. So the reason right. why I don't get caught up in yardage per carry is if they handed the ball to Joe Mixon, I don't have those numbers in front of me, from the two-yard line, right. and he ran in 90% right. of the time, who cares? Right. That's going to kill the yardage per carry at the end of the day. But the right. bottom line is they're finishing drives. The Giants, and this yeah. goes back to Paul's point about situational football, when they needed one yard to finish a drive, yeah. when they needed two, that was nowhere to be found. You could tell me all you want right. about scheme. I mean, that's just a body on a body winning your battle, and giving the running back enough of an opportunity to push through, and also doing it, by the way, without penalizing yourself, Antonio. And here's the thing. The Bengals had five more penalties than the Giants, yet they still had double the amount of rushing touchdowns. So they were on an even playing field, even with the mishaps, yet Cincinnati still was able to have production in those small yardage situations. What was their red zone efficiency, Lance? Do you have that up? I have to bring that up. I'll get that. I guarantee guarantee you that the Bengals were a lot better offensively in the red zone than the Giants were, and that all goes back to... Well, considering the Giants were dead last, Paul, I would hope that... No, no, but I'm not saying a little bit. (laughs) I I suspect it was a whole lot better. I'm going to bring it up. No, that's a fair point. But here's here's what I'll say to that, and 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 I'll this last point. I believe, and again, I'm a big Daniel Jones critic. But even if we if we did address the scheme and we even slightly better, just like you guys were talking about compete, I think the Giants could compete for at least a wild card spot next year if they don't dismantle the defense. If the defense stays relatively the same, they maybe address middle linebacker and edge a little bit, and obviously address the offensive line with the wide receivers that we have. Maybe you want to pick up somebody free agency, low budget, stuff like that. I think this is a nine ten win season next year, even with Daniel Jones. Again, I don't think Daniel Jones is the franchise. I think he's more like a guy that he needs a good cast around him, and he can win games. So, because of the scheme, I'm, I mean, I'm, I mean I'm, again, I'm going to point out the scheme. I'm going to say Daniel Jones wins 9 to 10 games this season if they don't dismantle the defense, and that's all I got, guys. Have a good one. Thank right, you. Antonio. Be well. Yeah, because remember, I mean, Cincinnati's defense played a big role in why the Bengals won 10 games this year. Sure did. And Burrow got healthy. DJ Reader got healthy on defense. They drafted Jamar Chase. You know, that's why I think I brought this up on a previous show, Paul, and you may have been on it, but a lot of people were saying, oh, well, look at what the Bengals did. They went from four wins to the Super Bowl, and they won 10 games. And I said, well, don't just look at that on paper. Look at why that happened. (laughs) It didn't snap their magical fingers, and all of a sudden— you know, went to work like that. So that's important from context standpoint. So I have the red zone numbers. The Bengals weren't great, okay? They finished 23rd in red zone efficiency, but they were still 10 percentage points better than the Giants. That's quite a bit. As a means of comparison, correct. So that's how you get better touchdown totals because of the few opportunities you had, you at least were able to catch. And your red zone is directly impacted by your ability to run the ball in those situations to keep a defense honest. It's just one of those characteristics that's inherent in a red zone attack. 
So that 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 was my my case there. But it's a good call. I appreciate the optimism. Look, even with the extended playoffs, you still needed nine wins to get in this year. So so that's going to be your target date, much as it has been in many years in the past. Let's head back to the lines. Number, I should oh, say. I'm sorry. You yeah. had something else to add? No, Paul, I'm sorry. No, your point is well taken in terms of, yeah, just because there's a seventh team, it doesn't mean you get away with seven wins and ten losses and be like, hey. It may wind up happening someday, but well, right now. I know, about let, that. Let's, I know let's... you in the quicksand of mediocrity, but we're not we're not falling into the quicksand so quickly, Paul, okay? You, you, you still got need it. to have a respectable record Let's go. to get into the playoffs. Let's uh, head back to the lines. Joe's in Pennsylvania joining us here. What's happening, Joe? Hey, what's happening? Happy Valentine's Day. Love the show. Love you guys, the Giants fans. Great show. So I wanted to start with that. Well, we appreciate you tuning in and sharing the love on this Valentine's Day. There you go. Yes. So what else do you have for us? Let's all break Uh, into Kumbaya. (laughs) Right. Now, getting to the the football game yesterday, you you were talking about ticky-tack fouls that uh, 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 the Rams might have received or so. But you forget the start. Do they, when they review a touchdown, when there's a grievous, when they rip your face mask around, how do they miss that? Don't they call that? You can't review that. That cannot uh, well, be reviewed thought, as part of uh, the play. They just rule, rule, review it if it was a clear touchdown. They don't Correct. review it. Exactly. Re- yeah, because if you remember, Joe, this goes back to you. Remember that one season where penalties were on pass interference? They experimented. Remember for a season and nothing was ever overturned because it was a horrendous idea to look at judgment calls that way anyway, at least in my personal opinion. So they threw it out the window. So that's why you can't look at a penalty even if it's part of a touchdown. It's not a reviewable component of the play. Correct. Sorry, else, Joe. Joe? Yeah, is that it? <laughs> I thought Joe would. Have, did we lose Joe? Maybe we lost Joe. I don't know if the phone call disconnected. But it says he's that, still yeah, on. I mean, that pretty much is the explanation, though. In all seriousness, I get it. There's a lot of elements, Paul, within a play, just mm-hmm. to expand on what he was saying. But that's what also makes the NFL rulebook so convoluted. It's the fact that. Just because you could review a play doesn't mean every element of the play. So, for example, if there's an offensive lineman and there's holding, but they didn't call it, all they're looking at, did the receiver catch the ball in the end zone? Did he get both feet in? They're not looking, Paul, at what happened in the trenches on that play because they're not allowed to. This is why, Lance, and I know we want to get to one more call at least before we end the program, so I don't want to go too long on this, but you and I had done a a show a couple years ago when they were talking about having the challenge rule uh, on pass interference, and we brought up the CFL rule. And you even got one of the CFL execs to come on and to talk on the program. And, and you know, you got to wonder if the sky judge, which they use in the CFL, you got to wonder if there was a sky judge at yesterday's game, would he have seen that face mask and would he have buzzed down and said, hey, guys, um, I hate to tell you, but there was a face mask on that play. We we got we to gotta do something about it. Is, is that good? Is that not good? We could probably debate that for the next week and a half and not yep. come up with a definitive answer. Yeah, I think it's a very dangerous gray area. I'll just leave it at that. That's my personal opinion, and that's why I think the NFL hasn't at least gone into that point. But certainly the CFL is a model that you can look to if you do want to experiment. Doug is in Rochester joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Doug? Hey, guys, how you doing? Hi. We're doing all right, Doug. Listen, I'm sick of people talking about getting two uh, linemen. Um, Like I said, a tackle and a defense end. And every mock draft that I just about see, it's two guys. It's about most of us. The guy from North Carolina State, the offensive tackle. What's his name? From North Carolina State. Equanu. Yes, right. Wait, who is who is my favorite selection for the Giants at five? I all hope right, he's there. All right, Paul. Paul, let me finish. Number seven is the is the defensive end. What's his name? Ogreba. What's his name? O Ogreba. And Hutchins. The Hutchins. The other end from the Michigan Wolverines. What's his name? Ojabo. Ojabo. Okay, Paul. You said something last week that I think was biased towards him. I'm glad you're on, Lance. First of all, he can, he's faster than Hutchinson. He can, he's got more bend, and you have to look at the tackles in the backfield and the quarterback pressures. You said that you would not take him at number seven because he only played one year. 
I think that's biased, man. I really do. And Lance, I want you. Well, I'm, I'm, I want to know your perspective on that. And I got another question to ask you. Well, why don't you ask the? You want to know my perspective on if a guy plays just one year in college? Is that what you want to know? Yes. Okay, no, I'll I'll get to that. No, I'll I'll get to that, Doug, but why why don't you finish your point because we don't want to lose the call and then Paul and I will react to everything you had to say. So what was your last point? First of all, I should just say, Doug, I appreciate your accuracy because you're right. That that is a problem for me. A guy who's only been a one-year starter in in the uh, big power five level of NCAA football, that's a problem for me picking him that high. So you're accurate in your assessment. That is a problem for me. Whether or not it's a bias, it's just a preference. I don't know if bias is the right word, but it's certainly a preference not to take someone like that. And the other thing is, too, he's really not a very powerful player and doesn't play the run very well. He's got an awful lot to learn. Well, why is all these people male and all them are predicting the Giants to take him number seven? If all these people are predicting him, and he's got to be worthy of the pick, they're not all wrong. Well, I'm okay? not making a prediction. I'm telling you who I would like to, them to take. I'm not predicting it. They may take him. I'm telling you if I had the pick, I would not take him at seven. And I'm allowed okay, to well, feel that way. Well, okay, um, I'd like to hear what you guys say. You say you want me to finish? Yeah, well, I want you to finish your point because we may lose the call. That was my point. I think the Giants have got a, they got a lot of problems coming up with decisions they got to make. But by Week Martindale being a defensive coordinator and a linebacker coach, I think once he looks at Lorenzo Carter, he's going to go to Gable and Sean says, look, I need this guy. We got to keep him. You know, I think that's what's going to happen because, you know, he looks at Carter, he's going to go to him, look, we got to keep this guy and, you know, the salary cap and all that. I think Carter's going to be one of the guys that's safe. Well, see, Doug, there's a guy now we can we can better agree upon because I think if they can get Carter back on an economically friendly deal, I think I would like to probably see him get another shot here. Hi, yeah, Doug. Okay, all right, that's it, Lance. I'd like to hear about what the first part I asked about. Sure. No, right. we'll definitely address that, Doug, and appreciate the phone call. As far as you know, years of service, which is how I'll label it with respect to college. And, Paul, I completely understand where you're coming from. And there have been risks that teams have taken, and it's backfired on them. That's why, for example, if you look at – there were a bunch of guys that didn't play college football the other year because of COVID. And we talked about there's a risk. you talking about a player that hasn't been on the field. Hell, Ellerson Smith, right? I mean, Ellerson Smith, how many years did he go without playing in a competitive game between the injury and then between not having football? So, you know, there's always – risk attached to somebody like that. That's why, as long as my opinion is, if I have an opportunity to sit down with the guy, if I get to see him work out, I want to physically see up close and personal what type of shape he's in. I want to hear from his coaches in terms of what they saw during the course of maybe that limited action. And as long as I do all my homework and my research, I'm not against taking a guy who may only have a year of actual tangible evidence on the field versus somebody that has three. I'm not against that, but you better do your homework is all I'm saying, because here's an example, okay? If you look at Micah Parsons, okay? Parsons didn't play the previous season, and then look at what he did for the Dallas Cowboys. But another guy who I think is an example is Owe, who went to the Ravens, right? Paul, he was not known as a sack guy. And then look at what he did in Baltimore in year one. So Mm -hmm. that's why I never say if a guy has limited production or limited activity on the collegiate level, then I'm absolutely going to stay away from him because sometimes he's got the athletic ability He tests well. He just wasn't maybe utilized effectively on the college level. So I would never remove a guy just because he's only played X amount of games. That would never eliminate somebody. But I would have to do other research to make sure that there's conviction as to why I think he's worth a pick. And my coaching staff has a good idea in terms of how they utilize it. I think the correct word that you used in your statement was eliminate. I wouldn't say I eliminate anybody, but when I'm looking for certain value at a certain pick, at number seven, I can't take a guy who has played that few snaps. And especially when he looks like a one-dimensional player, you know, you're asking a lot for the coaching staff. He comes in as a rookie after playing one year at NCAA football. You're going to say, hey, now you need to come in here and make an impact right away. 
That's asking an awful lot. You mentioned Ellison Smith. I know he made a bigger jump because he was from a smaller school, sure. but he basically had a redshirt year, even though he played five games, right? Five games, I think, cameo appearances. Yeah. And you, you just can't count on much from him. Who knows what his upside is? I hope it's high. I hope Ellison Smith gives them a lot of pass rush this year. I think that would be great. But, you know, you don't pick Ellison Smith at seven. You know what I'm saying? No, of course. So, yeah. so, so that's the deal for me. I, I, I just could. I would have a very hard time picking a guy at seven who was one-dimensional and only had one year as a starter at Michigan. That's not to say they won't pick him. They might pick him, and our experts are inclined to put them with the Giants, uh, him with the Giants, if they want to. I'm simply telling you, I would not pick him there. Well, and David Ajobo, Ajabo is the player that we're talking about out right. of Michigan who did not play his first year in 2019, sophomore in 2020, six games, and then he took over as a true starter this past season. Six and games was spot duty, though, Lance. It wasn't correct. a lot of snaps. Now, I've seen mock drafts, though, where he's been projected to go in the 20s. Yes. So, I mean, I don't know exactly which mock drafts Doug was looking at. I'm not saying – I've seen other mock drafts where he has been like eight, nine. So, somebody is going to fall in love with his athletic potential, mm -hmm. and that's why they're going to make that pick. But in fairness, there have been other mocks that I've seen where he's gone much later in the first round, which just goes to show you that probably the opinions are across the board. And the other thing with respect to mock drafts, and I've emphasized this time and time again, just because – there's a mock draft that has a guy going 7th, 8th, or whatever it may be. How many times have you then looked back at a mock draft after the draft happens to see how accurate all of those other mock drafts were, okay? <laughs> sure. Nobody ever does that. So sure. you can't put a whole lot of stock in substance, especially since we're still a few months removed from when the actual draft is going to take place. So I'm with you. All, all of that stuff, I think, is at least important to take into consideration. All right, that is going to wrap up Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Certainly appreciate everybody for tuning in. We will be up and running again on Tuesday at noon Eastern. A reminder, today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, which is part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we'll speak to you on Tuesday at noon Eastern. Have a good one.